Welcome, welcome, and welcome. My name is Jeffrey K. Patterson, and I am the Chief Executive Officer of the Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority in Cleveland, Ohio, and I am pleased to be the President of the Council of Large Public Housing Authorities, Clapper. And ladies and gentlemen, it is time for us to get to the point. Today on To The Point, we're going to discuss homelessness. Uh, we have on our podcast, Sonia Zaderman, and she's going to be joined by Mr. Doug Guthrie, who is the president and CEO of the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles. Good to be here. Thanks, Jeff. When you think of homelessness and you think of all we're dealing with, how, how did we get to this point in our country? I think the answer to your question is both simple and complicated. So I'll start with the simple first. Recent publication, a book called Homelessness is a Housing Problem, is the latest research looking at all the variables that have gone into expanding homelessness in a variety of metropolitan markets. And the findings from this book from the University of Washington, Dr. Greg Colburn, is that what really affects homelessness in communities are vacancy rates and rent prices, meaning the lower the vacancy rate and the higher the rent price, the more likely your community is going to be facing an expanding homelessness issue. And we can see this particularly coastal issues in California. Doug's going to talk about LA, but really the state has undertaken acknowledgement of the, the statewide problem and invested seriously in it. So really what that means are households that are low income or the most vulnerable are the most sensitive to these disruptions in the housing market. That means when prices go up, they're much more likely to be pushed out of the market because they can't afford the rent increases. And two, when vacancy rates are low, there are very few options for, their, for them to go to. So if you look at the communities where we have very high rates of homelessness, this is the dynamic we see. Significant shortage of housing, rising prices, and low-income and vulnerable households being priced out. The complicated side is what infrastructure really enabled this large population of vulnerable households to become homeless. And that is really a disinvestment in our mental health services, access to primary care, and as we see a whole range of health education and behavioral health services that have really not reached and met the scale of need that we see in these populations. So once you're facing housing instability in a high cost area with a shortage of housing and limited sets of services for infrastructure to navigate those crises, you are very likely to be homeless. And I think that explains a lot of what we're seeing in communities. And I just want to illustrate the diversity of the impact on this. For instance, nationally, we have the estimate is about 33 housing units, if you will, or homes that are affordable to low-income households. For every 100 households, there are 33 units. So think of that as a musical chairs environment, where there are only 33 places to live, although there are 100 people seeking it. 
In California, that rate is 24 units for every 100 households, low-income households. But in Ohio, it's 40 to 100. So we see here that there's a higher availability of affordable housing in Ohio, and we see much less availability, and we see obviously higher levels of homelessness in California. And that is a very, very small, brief explanation of what we're seeing uh, across the country. Wow, Sonia, those are some numbers. So if I could go back for a second, what strikes you more than anything else about what you just kind of presented? Well, Jeff, I feel like we've had real basic systems failures in a lot of ways. Obviously, our housing market, our private housing market, cannot meet the need. Our whole system of development and finance and zoning has kept out housing development. I know housing authorities face this every day in trying to find appropriate sites or get into other neighborhoods. Obviously, our housing assistance system has failed to meet three out of four households who are eligible for housing assistance do not receive it. Only one in four receive it. That's a failure. I feel our behavioral health and health systems, particularly when we look at chronically homeless veterans and other people with disabilities, that those systems have not haven't had the community-based care that's really been necessary since the the ending of institutionalized systems for behavioral health issues. So I feel like we have an enormous challenge. We have to think about the scale. I know Doug's going to talk about that, but how we build capacity and infrastructure. I also feel like it's a failure to communicate in some ways. Often the dialogue about homelessness is about personal behavior, morality, substance abuse, that all these or people looking for higher level benefits, searching, all of these really have been disproven by the research. These are really folks that are falling out of the system. I feel we've got some major system failures and we've got to rise to the challenge. Thank thank you, Sonia. I mean, the fact that you really laid it out there about the system failures and that there's just so many things that are part of this. So appreciate your feedback. I'm going to move over to Doug now. Doug, you know, I know California is a huge state. So many people there. Los Angeles is such a big part of it. I know that your mayor of Los Angeles, Mayor Bass, they all are putting forth homeless initiatives to try to work to address the concerns and address homelessness in California. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the role that HACLA is playing in this overall initiative? The dearth of affordable housing, uh, both on a national basis, but in California as well, specifically in Los Angeles. To give you uh, some idea in Los Angeles, we just opened up our Section 8 waiting list again this fall after five years of it being closed. And we had 225,000 applications representing over a half million people that applied. And we narrowed that down to 30,000. Uh, off the waiting list. So the the demand for housing affordability in the city of Los Angeles uh, is overwhelming. The city's done a housing element as required by state law, and we're showing Los Angeles being short 500,000 homes, the bulk of those uh, needing to be affordable housing. So the demand is overwhelming. We're a low-wage community in a high-cost housing market. And those are all the elements of pushing people out of the housing market. So homelessness has been increasingly becoming the topic, not only in the city is it the number one uh, political topic. Mayor Bass uh, ran her entire campaign 
based on making progress, real progress on alleviating homelessness. Governor Newsom also has made it the state's number one priority, even over the economy, even over the educational system. Homelessness is something that has to be uh, solved, and the state has put enormous amount of resources behind it. And then we've been asked to do our part here on the local level. So in effect, the Housing Authority has increasingly used the majority of its resources to address uh, the homeless problem here in Los Angeles. To give you some idea on that, we now provide over 28,000 units dedicated to addressing homelessness in Los Angeles. That's up from 10,000 units 10 years ago without an enormous amount of new resources. So we've had to shift away from traditional programs and shift directly into providing housing for the homeless population. And it's, it's an enormous challenge. And we feel like we're barely making a dent. And I can go into some more details about what we're doing and what I think some of the the true challenges are. Well, Doug, let's go into that a little bit. Why don't you tell me some of the barriers? You've heard so many times, so many people talk about let's let's end homelessness, let's end homelessness. Tell me what are some of the barriers that people encounter when they try to end homelessness? Well, it's a general lack of housing affordability, but it's also an enormous burden on the mental health care system as well, and the ability to provide adequate management and services for those that need it. Many people fall into homelessness for economic reasons, but if you're sleeping in a tent on the street corner for two years, in all likelihood, you're going to need things beyond just housing. You're going to need to be able to get back on track. You're going to need some uh, social service provisions. You're going to be able to, to reconnect as a result of that. We work with about, I believe it's 29 different service providers so this isn't uh, this isn't your mother's housing choice voucher program. I mean, we we have to have other partners <laughs> along the way. You have to have other service dollars that are readily available. We're actually doing a build out now of ten thousand units of permanent supportive housing using project based vouchers. That's two hundred and six individual projects that we already have underway using our project based voucher program and all the challenges that go along with that. There are a lot more partners involved than running a traditional housing choice voucher program, a lot more complications, and a much more challenging tenant uh, that we're working with. Tenants need some pretty uh, intense case management at times. We have drug and alcohol addictions uh, rise up in uh, permanent supportive housing as well. Our turnover averages, even in existing buildings, close to 10% annually, which is significantly higher than any of our other programs that we run. A large number of that, those are due to drug overdoses and deaths in the continuum of care. That's our largest turnover uh, is a result of uh, drug overdoses. And so there are all sorts of additional factors that end into, that, that come to bear on how complicated this gets. And the housing authority is expected to play a more and more significant role because the housing resources really come through the housing authority. And so the demand, as the demands grow, the demands on the housing authority grow as well. And I know with Mayor Bass, uh, she promised to get 17,000 people out of encampments and into interim housing and the next step into permanent housing in her first 12 months in office. She's really looking to the housing authority to be the one that's providing the permanent support of housing here. So she calls me on a pretty regular basis, wanting to know the numbers, wanting to know the turnaround, wanting to know why we can't do things more quickly why we can't get homeless applicants uh, documented uh, more quickly, why we can't get inspections done more quickly, why we can't do these things in a matter of days. 
And then to complicate things further, you know, these res- many of these resources have shifted from being in control of the housing authority to being run through the continuum of care. We have a good relationship with our continuum of care. That's not the problem, but uh, they've developed a coordinated entry system over the last 10 years that really aims to house people with the highest acuity. So they're, they're working from the top with the most troubled residents and working their way down. Those individuals tend to be the, house, the, the hardest to house, the hardest to document, the hardest to keep housed. And those are the referrals that we get to work with. So it complicates things even further to having the most effective and efficient system, uh, even if we had the resources uh, to meet the demands. It's very challenging. Thank you, Doug. That's very helpful. Sonia, do you have additional barriers that you see on a national perspective? Our housing finance and funding systems are really not geared for this challenge. And as Doug described, we're trying to use tools that we've applied for other less complex affordable housing subsidy programs to the homeless population. I would say uh, LA has really innovated on the use of project-based vouchers, the service-enriched housing using project-based vouchers as a subsidy. But that's something that LA and other folks have had to put together as a model. We really don't have good, strong, funded national models to do this. And I think that's a real challenge. It definitely says that we need much better coordination and cross-sector alignment around service delivery and housing uh, to maintain housing stability. Doug talks about the first challenge of getting people into housing, and then there's a challenge to keep people in housing and keep them Mm -hmm. uh, stably housed. So these are all uh, barriers, and I think housing authorities in L.A., many California housing authorities and across the country have really been innovative and taken a leadership role in using their resources and applying it uh, to their local challenges. The city of Los Angeles in 2017 passed a proposition that provided more than $1 billion to build new permanent supportive housing. 10,000 units was the goal. The county passed a sales tax increase to provide $300 million a year in supportive services over a 10-year period. When it comes to development, things move slowly, uh, as we all know. And it's a difficult process, but now we're seeing the outcomes of all that. We expect to bring on 4,000 new permanent supportive housing units over the next uh, 15 months that will be coming online as an outgrowth of that. We're, we saw quite a bit last year and this year. The state put up resources under the CARES Act to do what's called a Project Home Key program. So we're providing matching resources to localities to go out and buy, uh, particularly at the time, motels, as well as if they could find apartment buildings. So we purchased, uh, the housing authority was a proxy for the city. We bought 2,400 housing in the last 24 months that we've also added to the inventory. So we've been increasing inventory as quickly as we can. But again, with all the other players, it's a tremendous amount of pressure on all of us just to keep up the capacity of the work that's already underway and to sustain it uh, for the longer term. That, that gives you some idea of the, of the types of resources that have really been invested here in Los Angeles and the state of California. The other thing that I've seen in the last two, three years, particularly uh, when we entered into the pandemic and uh, Congress was trying to pass legislation to significantly increase the availability of Section 8 vouchers on a nationwide basis, partially successful at that. But uh, even if they've been more fully successful at that, 
the nature of those vouchers were very similar to the emergency housing voucher program. A couple thoughts on the kind of policy thinking around this. One is, I think, a a broader and deeper acceptance of a housing first model, which is getting folks into stable housing as, as quickly as possible, and then addressing the other service and and health needs. And I think we're seeing this in the progression of the state-funded policies on Room Key, uh, uh, Project Room Key in California, getting people into motels and hotels acquisitions, and then Project Home Key, and just the enormous scale, as Doug uh, described. The other is the VASH program. It's the uh, Veterans Assisted uh, Housing Program. And that, I think, is a really important model and has had very dramatic effects on the level of uh, chronic veterans homelessness, which has been a a key focus of Congress. And that is appropriating housing funds from HUD on the HUD side for housing vouchers and then the case management and health services on the Veterans Administration side. So it's a joint federal agency program that funds federally both the housing and services. There are lots of kinks to work out of this program because we're working with local VA hospitals and administrators and local housing authorities. But at the core of it, understanding that housing plus services is critical in addressing needs of chronically homeless households. And just one more policy current I wanted to emphasize that is more aspirational and hopeful, and that is the FY24 uh, Biden administration proposal that for the first time puts funding uh, on the mandatory side, meaning instead of having to go annually to get funds appropriated from Congress, would be funding all eligible households. The two categories that HUD focused on were veterans households that were extremely low income, uh, under 30% of median income, and youth aging out of foster care. And this means that anybody who meets those criteria would be eligible for housing services. Housing's not currently an entitlement. It's not likely that this uh, will pass in current or subsequent uh, Congresses, but it is a notion that and a firm declaration that uh, we need to serve housing and services. It should be on the mandatory side. So I think that's a, a very important message. If I could just comment upon the VASH program, we have real challenges in Los Angeles with VASH. The, the VA center out here has real staff capacity issues. They've had them for years. We can't process VASH without referrals, and we haven't been getting any referrals or very few referrals. You mentioned the fact that Congress wants to direct these at, at veterans at or below 30% of median income. What we're finding is that large numbers of homeless veterans out here with veterans benefits exceed 30% of median income. Mm -hmm. So they don't qualify under those programs. And particularly where we have project-based BASH to compete for resources to build the housing, you've got to house people under 30% of median. So we've got a number of vacant project-based BASH units here that people don't qualify for even though they're homeless for income purposes. So there are always complications to how these things are are pieced together with all the various parties. And, and I know we've got a large need here, but it's been real challenging to gerrymander the resources to fit the need. Well, if I could just uh, respond to that, I think that's a plug for our work on the housing is side on systems alignment, where we've clearly got frictions and contradictions and barriers just bringing 
two systems together, just the income limits that you're talking about in terms of service. And we need much more work on rationalizing our policies and requirements across all these programs to allow housing authorities to more efficiently administer it uh, rather than spending a lot of time navigating all these kind of uh, regulatory hurdles. If I could add another point, you you get me going on this. (laughs) Mayor Bass's first day in office, she declared a state of emergency on homelessness. And then a week later, the county declared a state of emergency for the county of Los Angeles. And we put together, we had previously applied to HUD for a series of waivers around homelessness, and they were rejected. But with the state of emergency, we tried to use that as a rationale and then reapplied for a series of waivers. Those waivers being uh, really documentation uh, for the homeless population on a variety of fronts, because that's so hard to secure Uh, We wanted to go back to CARES Act waivers that were in place. And the other was uh, Section 8 inspections, doing those, uh, doing self-certification, doing inspections after the fact. We think those would make a huge difference in how quickly we can process uh, applications for the homeless population. Uh, Those have once once again been rejected by HUD, uh, feeling that they don't have the authority to make those sorts of waivers. It was specific to CARES Act. But we really, we really need some more flexibility along those fronts to come up with the most effective and efficient way of administering these resources if we can. Well, thank you, Doug and Sonia. Both of you are just excellent in making some very good points and giving some good information about homeless challenges that we face in this country today. As we bring this to a close, Doug, I just want to ask you if you could just share three things that can really help us solve the homelessness in this country? We have to make good use of those resources that we do have. They have to become more effective, more efficient, and more flexible. We have put in a request for a waiver, same waivers that we use during uh, CARES Act with regards to upfront documentation, as well as Section 8 housing quality standards and self-certification. Those would be of enormous benefit, I know, from a housing authority's perspective to speed up the process. Uh, Secondly, everything now is run through the continuum of care, most everything, and through coordinated entry system, which are different jurisdictions. Here in Los Angeles County, we have a, a very good continuum of care program, but the coordinated entry system has become rigid over time. And we need more flexibility as we have turnover, we've got vacant units, we need to reach people more quickly to get them housed into it. Thirdly, we're trying to figure out under Mayor Bass, she's focused on inside safe is what she's calling the program, but dealing with tent encampments out on the street because they're now in all of our communities. It doesn't matter your political persuasion, people are fed up with tent encampments in their neighborhoods. And so it is destructive. And there are a lot of challenges around that. Her goal is to get 10 encampments into interim housing, and then the next step into permanent housing. So we've got to figure out a better way to align encampment to interim to permanent, to do it with those with the highest needs in mind. So a lot of complications there, but those are the things I think that we're primarily focused on out here in Los Angeles. You know, I want to thank you for your leadership, out in Los Angeles. Sonia, I thank you as well for all the things that you're doing to put this issue on the forefront. Homelessness is a challenge. The only way it can really be addressed are housing authorities across the country, as well as people across the country to dedicate the resources needed 
to address it. We can't do it all at one time, but we can be impactful. I hope you all enjoyed this discussion today, are motivated to go out and try to do a little bit more to make sure that people have a place to live in this country. I'm Jeffrey K. Patterson, and this is To The Point. Until we meet again, take care. Thank you. CLAPA is a nonprofit membership organization that works to preserve and improve public and affordable housing through advocacy, research, policy analysis, and public education. Our membership includes over 70 of the largest and most innovative public housing authorities across the country. Our members collectively own and manage nearly 40% of the nation's public housing stock, administer more than a quarter of the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and provide a wide array of other rental assistance. They also make vital services available to the more than 1 million low-income households they serve. Learn more about us and our membership at clpha.org or on Twitter at clpha. Through our Housing Is initiative, CLAPA is helping to build a future where housing, education, and health systems work together to improve life outcomes for low-income people. Learn more about our work to broaden and deepen cross-sector collaboration at housingis.org or on Twitter at housing underscore is.